Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome. We are so pleased that you have joined us. It is here that we will uncover if my guest has had extraordinary discoveries in his life. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant Show is Sun on the Water, composed and performed by John Park Wheeler. My guest today is Robert Pizzini, who is the managing partner and chief executive officer of iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. He developed iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving in 2010, bringing his multi-million dollar technologically advanced experience to Virginia Beach in 2015. In 2019, Bob launched Elevate Your Your Leadership, an executive level leadership development and team building experience that incorporates his military background, private sector success, and the experience of indoor skydiving to take leaders to new heights, literally. In 2018, I Fly Virginia Beach was awarded the Chamber of Commerce Small Business of the Year. Robert retired from the U.S. Navy in 2010 after 26 years of service as a diver, master explosive ordnance disposal technician, and EOD officer. While on active duty, Robert completed multiple deployments in support of various operations throughout the world. In January 2009, he completed a combat tour with the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force, Arabian Peninsula, Balad, Iraq. His personal decorations include the Bronze Star. Welcome, Bob. Thank you very much. And I'm sorry I gave you such a mouthful of a, uh, of a resume to read. Well, that was wonderful. I loved, uh, I loved reading all that. It gives everyone a really good idea of your background. But with your vast experience, was there something that you were interested in at an early age that you feel helped set your life's course? Without a doubt. I think there were two things. One is the sport of ice hockey. And, um, you know, you living in Canada can appreciate uh, how great the sport is generally speaking, and, and in my case, how great the sport is for youth development, to develop, to develop discipline, to develop teamwork. Uh, it's, it was just an incredible experience for me, uh, not only throughout my childhood, but, but certainly today as well. And then the other thing was my interest in the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau. So a lot of, a lot of listeners might not remember, uh, you know, the black and white Aquanauts or the Aquanauts in black and white, uh, exploring the oceans of the world. And I was just fascinated with that at a very young age, 10 years old, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that, I became a a certified scuba diver at the age of 12. And that led to a very active between hockey and scuba diving. It led to a very active childhood and the scuba diving led to an interest in commercial diving, which led to Navy diving, which led to a 26-year military career overall. Wow. And so commercial diving, what 
What did you do as a commercial diver? So commercial diving, now keep in mind, I was uh, actually still in high school and, and starting to um, go to the Gulf of Mexico to look for opportunities. But commercial diver, divers, they will typically work on uh, underneath large vessels if propellers need, need to be changed or some, some kind of work on the hull of a large vessel that would be very expensive to dry dock. Um, so that's called ship's husbandry. So oh. working underwater on the hulls of large and small vessels and mm -hmm. working on oil rigs uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, um, that, uh, that's probably one of the largest employers of commercial divers worldwide mm -hmm. is uh, gas and oil production. And uh, so those are a couple of examples. And again, I, I just took a, was down there briefly and I saw the former Navy divers uh, being treated very well, being paid very well and decided to enlist in the Navy and receive that training, um, not knowing that I would stick around for 26 years in the U.S. military. Well, you must have loved it. So what types of uh, missions or deployments did you, did you have as a diver in the Navy? So uh, again, the ship's husbandry that I just described, um, unfortunately, we would do aircraft recovery if oh. there was an incident with either civilian or military aircraft, I've recovered both, all, again, all over the world. Uh, but that interest in Navy diving ultimately led to an interest in what's called explosive ordnance disposal. And EOD um, is, is kind of the, the shorthand. And EOD, EOD divers uh, not only dive and conduct um, a variety of missions underwater, but our, our primary mission is to disarm explosives on land, underwater, at sea, um, anywhere there's a hazard to life or property. And that was really the majority of my career was in, in the EOD or what the Navy, it's the special operations community within the U.S. Navy. And how did you harness your fear? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would think, well, that's pretty dangerous um, work that you were involved with. So you were with a team, were you doing this? Yeah. Yes, always, always with a team. The, our, our minimum team uh, strength is two people. We, we, never, uh, we never do anything alone. And how do you harness your fear to be able to do that? There must be such an adrenaline surge. Uh, there's an adrenaline surge for sure. Um, there is also a calm that you need to have. You need to have this calm resolve. Okay. And, and that's uh, that, you know, some of that um, you bring to the table, some of that you bring from your early childhood experiences, but the vast majority of it is developed through rigorous and intense training. And you have many opportunities during the training pipeline to test your metal and to check yourself, if you will, to see if you're really cut out for this type of work. Right. Uh, but, but you check yourself as an individual, but then you're also looking to the, uh, to the person to the left of you and to the right of you, because ultimately those are your teammates who are going to carry you through the day and you're going to carry them through the day. So, so the sooner I understood the team dynamic uh, the better I performed as an individual and the better my team performed. And it's the same, it's the exact same realization for everybody else on the team. So you start out with um, smaller missions and then you graduate, I would expect to the 
more difficult ones? Um, Dangerous? Yeah, uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, lesser or more dangerous, but your assignment on that mission could, could, could vary depending on the complexity of the mission. Certainly, you know, the more experienced people are going to be more forward, if you will, with the lesser experienced people uh, providing more of a support role. Um, and, and that's, that's the same in any, you know, a physician uh, working on an internship. Um, you, you know, it's really the same in any profession. Mm-hmm. Do you have um, defining moments during the Navy? Oh, sure. I mean, I think defining moments are, are an important thing for anybody to capture. So I have, mm-hmm. I have a few defining moments, you know, it, throughout my career that I reflect on every day. One defining moment in particular was when I did not 100% comply with a with a directive, a, a change in the way we were going to do business, and I made a mistake on that particular mission. My commanding officer at the time could have issued very severe punishment. Actually, my career could have ended at that time, but this leader was very bold in his leadership and had great confidence in me to recover. And he put me on a path for recovery. That is something that I think about every single day. So a a defining moment for me is you owe your leader 100% every day, all the time. There's nothing short of that that is acceptable. And um, and as a leader, you have to expect and require 100%. The third part of that is people will come up short. People will come up with less than 100%. Mm -hmm. But if they own it and if they're bought into it, put them on a path for recovery. When you came over to the private sector, did you have to sort of adjust uh, how you worked with people, bring it down a notch or two when you began to work in the private sector? Uh, I definitely had to go through a learning curve. So my first few years in the private sector, I worked for a defense contracting firm. So many like-minded retired people who had the same skill set. So that was almost like transferring to another job in the military, really. But that's when I was developing I Fly Virginia Beach indoor skydiving. And, and after the business model was fully developed and we completed construction, um, I left the world of government contracting and I hired a 35-person team, some former military, most not former military. And without a doubt, I had to go through a learning curve and I probably still am to some extent. And, and, and you know, quite simply... Um, when somebody's 24 or 25 years old in the military, you know, assuming they've been in for five or six years, they're on their second or third leadership assignment. They've attended uh, leadership academies at various levels. They've had failure in, in their leadership and they've had success in their leadership. And Mm -hmm. in the private sector, that's not the case with your typical 25 year old. Um, I think leadership is something that, that the private sector doesn't give attention to until it's almost too late. Now, large corporations that have uh, internal programming, um, you know, I think they're paying attention to the right things at the right time, but small to mid-sized businesses, um, they don't really pay attention to that. that. I'm obviously a small business, but in my case, um, I, my expectations were too high and, um, and and that's my fault. And uh, so I had to kind of adjust uh, my leadership, my leadership style, and also um, the the training um, that I had to 
uh, that I had to bring to everybody on the team? Well, the military training is uh, is cut and dry. There's so much, many protocols and all of that, right? And uh, you're, condi- you're conditioned for 26 years, so it's a re- retraining for sure. Yeah, well, it's, and it's what it is, is adapting to a different environment. Um, and, you know, part of my, my offering with Elevate Your Leadership, one of my discussions is um, under, under critical traits of a leader is the ability to flex and adapt. You know, f- flexibility plus adaptability equals resiliency. And, um, and I have to remind myself of that often. Uh, and I think any good leader should re- remind themselves of that often. Uh, but in this case, the, there's something else in the military, a term we use called atmospherics. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the ground truth, you know, the situational awareness and um, the ground truth is different in the private sector than it is in a military organization. And once again, it, it just took me a little while to see that and to realize that and then ultimately to adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you, you've done extraordinary well, not only in, in the Navy, but also in the private sector. I'm very interested in iFly. I didn't know much about it, um, but can you describe to our listeners what that experience is like? Sure. So iFly indoor skydiving is just that. It is a facility with a large flight chamber inside of a building. And this flight chamber perfectly simulates what it's like to free fall through the sky or to jump out of an airplane. Uh, The big difference is rather than falling, rather than gravity pulling you towards earth, uh, which is what happens when you exit an airplane, Mm -hmm. a cushion of air is actually propelling you upward. So the wind comes from beneath you and you are floating on a cushion of air. The net effect is the exact same. If I want to drive forward or drive backwards or turn to the right or turn to the left or what's called very fall rate in the sky, I can fall faster or fall slower. In the flight chamber, I can make my body come down or make my body go up depending on um, the adjustments that I make. So it's a perfect simulation of skydiving, but even more importantly, it is one of the most funnest things to do in the world. Everybody's had the dream of flight and kids as young as three can participate in indoor skydiving. Wow. It's a, it is a cushion of air that has glass on all sides. So wall to wall. So there's no falling off of anything. If you're afraid of heights, then don't allow yourself to go up more than two or three or four feet. And an instructor is either hands on or within arm's reach to make sure the experience is both safe and fun. So kids as young as three. And um, this is something that that generations of people can do together. Sometimes we'll see the three-year-old, her 30-year-old mom and her 70-year-old mom. Mm-hmm. Um, birthday parties, bachelor parties, uh, um, um, corporate groups, we do quite a bit. So uh, so it's an incredible experience. And, and I own iFly Virginia Beach. However, there are 35 iFlies across the U.S., and I think there's four or five now in Canada as well. So it's a, it's a tremendous, fun experience. It's a family experience. It's 18-year-olds on date night out. It's a, a baseball team or a hockey team having their end-of-season banquet. It's, it's just all of the above. Mm-hmm. And when you say adjust um, uh, what you're doing uh, when you're in uh, in 
I fly. Are you talking about adjusting your body to go this way, that way, backwards, forward? What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's exactly right. You literally are flying your body <clears throat> like it's an aircraft Okay. Uh, when, you're, when you're floating on that cushion of air. So you are 100% in control. This is not a ride. You know, you, you don't strap in and hang on. You um, are propelled by the wind and it's up to you how, how you maneuver your body uh, again to make yourself go forwards or backwards or spin to the right, spin to the left, um, enter, exit the flight chamber, hover stable, go up, go down. It's, it's just the most fun in the world. And so when you arrive with uh, the people that you're going to be uh, skydiving with, do they give you, uh, uh, do they teach you ahead of time? Or is it something that you just experience while you're in the chamber? No, the, so the whole experience, let's say you came with a group of four or five people, your family. Yeah. Member, the whole experience would be about an hour and 15 minutes or so. We get you checked in. Um, and then we go to a classroom and you spend about 20 minutes in the classroom with your instructor. And, and after the classroom phase is done, we have to get you geared up. So a flight suit and hearing protection and helmet and goggles. And if you don't have the right shoes, we'll give you the right shoes and um, get you ready to go. Get your, get your helmet on um, last minute, any last minute questions. And then in groups of up to 12, we enter what's called the staging area of the flight chamber. And then one by one, each person in that group rotates through and they do their flight. Flights are one minute in duration. So you may, you may have purchased a two flight package or a three flight or a four flight, depending on how adventurous you're feeling that day. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes me think of the time that uh, I was at a Tony Robbins uh, convention and we were being conditioned to walk across a bed of coals. And I'm sure it's kind of like that is uh, you have to sort of, for me anyway, I'd have to uh, get myself geared up to do something like that. Yeah, you would. And that that's kind of how Elevate Your Leadership was born or it was one of the. Okay. Yeah, it was one of the components that contributed to the, uh, the development of Elevate Your Leadership. So you talked about the hot coals, you know, you have to kind of get yourself psyched up for that and tell yourself I can do it. And and so, so what, what is that really? It's a challenge and it's taking you outside of your comfort zone. And what's the result of successfully, successfully completing that challenge? Your comfort zone grows or expands. You know, you have this renewed confidence that, hey, I, I can do it. And, and the experience in the flight chamber is very similar. Some people have anxiety, you know, very low levels, because again, kids as young as three do this. Yeah, I'm thinking that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but it doesn't really matter who you are. Most people who have never done this before, they do have this certain level of trepidation, if you will. Yes. And so it's facing a fear. And that's the metaphor. Uh, that's my leadership metaphor is we're facing a fear we're taking ourselves outside of our comfort zone. And again, the result is we've expanded our comfort zone. But I will tell you that this is light years more fun than walking across hot coals. Yes. And have you walked across hot coals? No, and I never will. Nor no, and you glass. never. No, yeah, yeah. Never will. Well, it, it's, uh, it, it's life-changing. Um, yeah. Because if you can do that... Uh, I went uh, with my adult children. Uh, they were still quite young. Um, one was 
18 or 19 and the other one was 23. And that's what we did. And when we came back to the hotel and we debriefed and everything, we thought if we can do that, if we can walk across a bed of coals, what else can we do? Right. I mean, it was just such a, a metaphor for life. And I feel that I fly is probably people are walking away with that same sensation um, that if they can do that and conquer their fears, if they have any, uh, what else can they do in life? So talk to us about your leadership. Sure. So um, that you have. So um, 2018 timeframe, 2017, something like that. Again, I have 35 people on the team, six people at the management level. And I was looking for leadership training for my management team. And we, we did Franklin Covey and, and we did Dale Carnegie and some of these more traditional mm-hmm. uh, venues. And, and these are good, good venues. I'm not knocking them at all. I, I went to them myself. But what, what wasn't happening was the leadership development that I experienced throughout my military career, this, this team building uh, and this developing highly competent highly trusted, highly empowered leaders. Uh, I just couldn't yes. find anything that, that really builds that. So I put together something um, for my team internally, and I delivered the experience. I delivered the, the leadership development, and it was very well received. Uh, and uh, eventually people outside the organization saw what I was doing, and they encouraged me to take it to market, if you will, uh, because of a, a couple of things. One is the uniqueness that I bring to it, because it's a culmination of my life's experiences, my 26 years in the service and my 10 years in the private sector. And, you know, even going back to childhood experiences. So I, I developed my leadership me- methodology, if you will, over that entire uh, lifetime. Mm-hmm. And um, um And my team loved it and my team embraced it. And I took it outside the organization. And it's also a very fun experience with or without the flight experience. um, Because when COVID hit, I had to pivot to the webinar format. Yes. Uh, And, and, but that's a good thing too, because now I do one webinar a month and, you know, they sell out and it's a very positive experience. And again, it's, uh, it's CEOs and executives and up and coming leaders meeting people who are in similar situations uh, in their professional life, but these are people from around the world now who are interacting with each other. And uh, so it's just been an incredible experience in that webinar format, but it was originally designed to take place in our beautiful boardroom at iFly Virginia Beach, which overlooks the Atlantic Ocean. Nice. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a very uh, high-end experience and, but it's a very fun experience. And and, you know, I used to wear a nice stiff collared shirt um, for the experience, but I don't even do that anymore. No stiff shirts allowed. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to get down to, to the nuts and bolts and we're going to have some fun in the process. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and because it's a webinar, uh, it's easy to be global when it comes to that, right? It is. And it's, that's been great. And we have had people from, from your home country, Canada, France, Germany, Australia. It's just wonderful to have uh, people from around the world participate. Well, it sounds like uh, you are another pioneer uh, when it comes to leadership training, um, because, uh, you know, it is something that's not readily available unless you work for a big corporation and, and that they have subscribed to that type of training. Um, 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the other thing I find with that, even in the big corporate, it's very linear. It's very X, Y, Z, you know, right. uh, and, and, and I hate to use the term executive when I use the term executive, because <laughs> it implies this, this process and, and, and leadership I have found is not as complex as a lot of these leadership institutions make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I'm not saying leadership is easy because oftentimes it's not. But it's not this complex monster that only the highest schooled uh, people on the planet are qualified for. It's 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 um, it's quite different than that, and and that's what I flush out throughout my entire offering. Is uh, I do call it the art and science, but the way I define the art is my definition. It's different than anything you've been exposed to. The way I define the science, I promise, is 100% different than anybody's been exposed to. And the way I build a foundation through the art, the science, critical traits, um, you know, this gives people an operating system to be a leader under all conditions. Wow. That sounds amazing. Well, you know, uh, to put all of that together, you have to have such creativity and also know that there's all those uh, attributes that go into it. Yeah, no, no question about that. Um, and that comes with experience. You know, there's my definition of, of leadership is experience is enabling others to accomplish their objectives. Or if you just want to make it a two word definition, it's enabling others. Mm-hmm. But the, the rest of that definition is to use my education, my training and my experience to enable others. And those are three things that are key to solid leadership, education, training, and experience. You have to have all three of those, you know, education without experience is simply philosophy. And uh, so, so, so a, 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 a highly influential leader. And when I say highly influential, I mean that you lead, you effectively lead um, a large amount of people starting with yourself um, over a long period of time, because longevity is really, uh, it's what leaders, uh, desire, or it's what they should desire. They should seek longevity, try and be a great leader for many people over the longest amount of longest period of time I can be. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I find just wonderful is that you're taking all these skills and you're actually doing some coaching, aren't you with hockey? Well, I coach hockey, I coach executives. Uh, so, uh, but these skills are interchangeable, if you will. Um, I go to hockey coaching, hockey coaching seminars. So I coach high school hockey right now. And in, in America, we have, um, a five tiered system of coaching qualification and I've attended all the way up to level five. Uh, the coaching academies, and what I what have I, I've learned throughout my coaching education um, has also applied to running my business and to being a, a good member of my community and to being a good husband and a good father. These 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 lessons in hockey leadership they really apply across the board. And, and I would say, I would say it's the same with my business, uh, the, the purely business leadership principles, they apply to the hockey team as well. And, um, you know, when you get out and about and, and try and learn as much as you can, 
um, you find these bridges to connect all of these different things. And it really, it's really a wonderful thing to experience. And what did you learn from the ones that weren't so good, Bob? Um, I learned that number one, don't be the kid's last coach. Don't be the reason that that child is not going to come back to the sport next year. And I had a coach or two who definitely chased me away from, uh, uh, and when I say chase me away, I don't mean like, Hey, you're no good. We don't want to see you next year. I mean that I didn't want to go through all that stress and pressure of playing for that coach again the next year. Uh, so, so that's one example of, of, um, you know, one example of, of a negative memory that had a lasting impact. Mm -hmm. And some people just, uh, some coaches don't know how to get out of their own way in order to do the job that they need to do, that they've, they're being paid to do or showing up to do, right? Yes. And there's a difference between being paid and volunteering as well. So oh, yes. if, if you're being paid, one assumes, you know, there's some profession or some, some competitive edge to the sport. But uh, all my coaching, including, including college uh, hockey, it's all voluntary. And, you know, part of my responsibility as a coach is to develop these young men and women to be, to be good human beings. And, uh, you know, coach, when you read books by like John Wooten and some of the, some of the greatest coaches out there, they understand that that's part of their responsibility and that's what they're doing. And in the process, they're winning championships. Yes. And, and the thing is, is that whether you're a good coach or mediocre or just not a, a good coach at all, uh, you're instilling memories into people. And uh, you, you know what I mean? So what legacy do you want to have? And, um, and I just I think that some people don't get that. And they don't realize that maybe until they get older, it might be in a mature a maturity thing as well. But um, I'm just uh, fascinated um, by everything that you've done. I mean, you're such a young man and you've experienced so much and can bring so much to so many people that you're involved with that uh, I'm just blown away by it. Um, I do a lot of things, um, but, uh, you know, I, I really admire people that do a lot of different things. I mean, I say I'm getting up in the morning anyway. Why don't I do as much as I can? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of I call it a sickness. Actually, I think there's is a it disease. okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Because you know, I, I say to myself, "Boy, I'm interested in that. I'm going to buy that book, or I'm going to go to that yes. course, or I'm going to take that on." And it's like, okay, when am I? When are you going to do that? You know, you already don't have enough time for all the things you're involved with. Why add more? And, um, you know, I've got three books that I haven't finished reading and I mm -hmm. you know, go buy another one. And um, so it's a bit of a sickness and, uh, you, you know, business owners disease, entrepreneurs disease. I'm not exactly sure what the, what the DSM would call it, but I think it's all of that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's all of that. And I'm really glad that you said that because some people, I don't like to tell people really what I do because they, they are, they wonder why are you doing that? Where yeah. do you find the time to do that? Yeah. Um, I'm an audiobook addict and, and, you know, I used to buy an audiobook 
listen to it and buy another one. But now I, I have to play catch up. I've got about five that I have to listen to. Yeah, exactly. Well, so what I found there, both in reading, reading books in print and audio is, um, sometimes I'll get a second one started before the the one I'm on is done. Mm -hmm. And every now and then, uh, depending on the subject, they, they almost seem to complement each other. So when I'm starting to slow down on one, I'll, I'll, or lose interest, I'll, I'll get, get a different one going. And then it, for some reason, it makes me go back to the, to the original one. So anyway, I don't know what that is, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's cool when it happens. Yeah. Well, and I mean, sometimes, um, uh, the promise at the beginning uh, that you're waiting to find out exactly uh, what they want to tell you, you have to, you have to read like four or five, six, seven chapters before they, you know, give you the goods. And yeah. sometimes I, I lose momentum too, if it takes too long for me to find out um, what I actually bought it for. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually writing a book right now. Okay. Yeah. So I'm very conscious of that. I have uh, in the, you know, after the preface, I have something called ground rules and it's these 10 little steps to get you through the book uh, (laughs) to keep you motivated, keep you interested. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's great. When I wrote my book, um, my goal uh, was to, that every chapter could stand alone, uh, that there was uh, a message in every chapter and then a directive to the to the reader and um and I think that once you read a lot of books you realize what you want how you want to build your book right because that's what you're doing 100% could not agree more every book I read now I go oh they said that earlier and then they just said it again you know so (laughs) so it's their road mapping right they're 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 Mm -hmm. telling it's just like when you do your graduate papers uh you know you tell the reader what you're going to tell them and then you tell them, and then you tell them tell what them you told what you, them. And you tell them what you told them. Yeah. 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 So, so road mapping, but it's funny now, cause when I read books, I pick up on all those little nuance of the, the construct, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and really what I'm doing is I'm capturing the things that I think that I personally like, and then I try and emulate that style in my writing. Well, that's an excellent, uh, that's how you learn and that's how you develop, right? Yeah, no doubt yeah. about it. So as we begin to wrap up, um, how may people contact you if they want to sure, sure. reach out? Yeah, the best way is visit robertpizzini.com. That's Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com. And everything you ever wanted to know, as a matter of fact, way more than you probably would ever want to know about <laughs> me and, and what I do in my offerings can be viewed at robertpizzini.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I'm somebody who also might, you know, my contact information is there, email, phone number, and I'm somebody who answers my own phone. So uh, right. if people want to talk to me and learn more or learn about my offerings or have me engage in corporate events or, or have me conduct an event at an iFly, or if somebody wants to come and visit beautiful Virginia beach, mm-hmm. participate in my leadership offerings here, either individual group team or corporate. Um, you know, I can accommodate all of the above and we have fun while we're doing it. Well, that's the best thing. I mean, why not have fun, right? It's exactly right. We learn from each other and we have fun. You know, my experience is a facilitated discussion 
amongst people who um, have a lot to offer. You know, we all have a lot to learn from. And, and so there's great value in, in conversation. And then, uh, then there's fun in flying. Yes. Well, I'm intrigued with the flying. I, I really am. And I was never one who would have said I would like to do something like that. But I did a little bit of research and I thought that I might do that when I'm in Toronto sometime. Yeah. And I shouldn't say that I will never walk across hot coals. Um, you know, I don't like to use absolutes. Never say never. Yeah. So, so who knows? It could happen someday. Oh, yes. Well, when you're there's the some hot dogs or something I can throw on the coals as well. Yeah. When you're being conditioned by Tony Robbins, you feel like you can do almost anything. And um, so it was a great experience for sure. But have, do you feel that you've been called to this leadership role that you're doing? Uh, so I, I've been called in a just, I would say, a, a minor way. Okay. And, that, and that calling is the application of exercise and education. Those two things uh, have been almost a daily process for my entire adult life. And if it hadn't been for my focus on exercise and education, uh, I wouldn't own a multi-million dollar business. I wouldn't be writing a book. I wouldn't lead. And, and when I say lead, I, I mean, hopefully have a long-term positive influence on the lives of those that I lead. Um, I want to positively impact them. I, I wouldn't be conscious of all that uh, if, if I didn't focus on exercise and education throughout my entire adult life. What extraordinary discoveries have you found in your life? <laughs> so refer back to my, my last answer. Um, yes. I, I, my, the extraordinary discoveries I have found is that the body is built in such a way to survive and thrive and, you know, surviving is food, shelter, water, uh, and, and thriving is an understanding of how the body works and, uh, your, your brain and heart, for example, the importance of controlling your, your heart rate, your, uh, your resting heart rate, your, your active heart rate, your heart rate variability, the body has all these mechanisms that we don't fully understand at this point, although we know a lot more than we did even a few years ago. And the more each individual understands these, how your body works and how you can control it, uh, the better outcomes you're going to have in all aspects of life. Boy, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. And that's a big component of the science of leadership as uh, you know, when we, when we do the elevate your leadership experience, I, I, I dive very deep on um, six factors, rest, okay. hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health, and lifelong learning. Those six things are a key component to leadership and to um, success and happiness. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining us, Bob. Uh, your life has been one of courage, bravery, and strength. And it's an inspiration to others who may right now be contemplating uh, their next step in their journey. Well, thank you so much, Rhonda. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I enjoyed our discussion and uh, maybe we'll have another one one day. Oh, I truly hope so. It's been fun. And uh, you've taught our listeners, uh, you've taught me and you've taught our listeners uh, a lot in such a short period of time. So thank you to my extraordinary guest, Bob Pizzini, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I, if you want to reach out to him.com. This is Rhonda Grant with The Rhonda Grant Show, author, 
of magical forces within, extraordinary discoveries in an ordinary life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. 